of our holiday schedule and New Year's Eve and the prophecy update and um, hope you're blessed with the prophecy update. Um, I know that I was just looking at all of that again and just being reminded of um, that the Lord is coming soon. His coming is very nice. So let's keep our eyes on the Lord this year. If you need a Bible for our study, just raise your hand and Jerry will get you a Bible so you can follow along with us. Job chapter 27 and we'll begin in verse 1. On Wednesday nights, uh, we're going to continue going through the Old Testament, so we'll finish Job probably by the end of the month, uh, is what I'm planning, and then we'll go into Psalms. Psalms is 150 chapters, so um, yeah, we're going to go through all 150 chapters, you know that? So we'll cover 10 chapters a week, does that sound good? So that's what we're going to try. Then Proverbs. A um, little bit of this sound is real ringy, Bob, so if you can kind of take care of that. But um, then we'll go into Proverbs, continue through the poetic books. Um, this is very, very rich portion of Scripture that we're going to be in as we go into Psalms and Proverbs. And I pray that you come out and you'll be tremendously blessed. One of the things that I found myself... Um, just repeatedly, you know, it's important that we have devotions, and we, there's different uh, ways that you can do your personal devotions. Some people really like to get the concordance out and, and commentaries out and do an in-depth study. Um, with me, because I do that, it's, it's real important for me uh, not just to do study, but for me just to open up the Word of God and just read it, and and that's my devotion in the morning. And I find myself a lot of times, especially in the last six months, in the book of Psalms. And just being comforted by that and going over it and going over it and going over it. And uh, so the Lord just continues to just comfort my heart and bless my heart, um, strengthen my heart as I go through those Psalms. So I'm really looking forward to going through the books of the, you know, the chapters and the, um, of Psalms and then Proverbs, of course, always great. One great thing to do with Proverbs, there's 31 chapters, right? So on the first day of the month, you go through Proverbs chapter 1, and then the second day, Proverbs chapter 2, and then on the 31-day months, like January, it works out. If there's 30 days, you can read two chapters at the end, and uh, that works out very good. And Proverbs is just a lot of rapid-fire wisdom, and so you can always just go through it and go through it and read it and go through it and go through it, and it will very much help you. So just want to encourage you um, in your own devotions, and then as we will be studying those books uh, on Wednesday nights. On Sunday, we're going to be back in John's Gospel. We're going to be looking at Jesus' prayer in chapter 17 as we finish the Upper Room Discourse. It, in that prayer uh, is very timely because Jesus is, has stopped to pray right before he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. And in that prayer, we see uh, seven very important principles that he gives to us that are important for us to have worked out in our own lives. Jesus kind of is evaluating his life. Father, uh, I've glorified your name, and I finished the work. And so we saw three of those principles last time that it's important for us to be men and women of prayer. Um, and as we do pray, second of all, that we desire to glorify God in our lives. And then thirdly, that the Lord 
help me to finish the work that you have me to do. And, and so we talked about that, and then there's going to be four others that we're going to see this Sunday. So we'll cover verses 6 through 19, and, uh, and I know it's going to be a blessing. Now, this Sunday, remember, I, I almost said 8.30 and 10.30. That's wrong, right? 8, 9.30, and 11 will be our service time. So starting this Sunday, three Sunday morning services. They're all the same services, same worship, same teaching. And uh, 8, 9.30... And 11 o'clock will be our service time. So anyway, we're looking forward to doing that. And it's going to take a little bit of time to get used to that, all right? So we're all just going to have to be patient and um, to have it get worked out and for us to be able to uh, see exactly where our needs are going to line up and things like that. One of the things that we'll have to get used to, I hope we don't have to get used to it too long, is that, you know, we've been so used to, particularly last summer and then in the fall till we got to around the holidays, uh, the 1030 service really being packed out. And that's the reason we went to three services and here in a coffee shop and just completely full. Now it's going to be three services where there's going to be more room. So I'm hoping that they'll fill up, invite somebody. All right. Uh, Here's some simple math. If you invite one person, the church doubles. All right. And, um, and I know that uh, churches have a lot of marketing schemes and uh, things like that to get people to come to church. I'm one that, first of all, the Lord brings the people. I, I really believe that. And then second of all, you bring the people. Invite somebody to church. That's my prayer, is that you would pray about who can I pray is going to come to church that doesn't know the Lord or perhaps doesn't have a home church that I'm going to invite them to Calvary Chapel, and our prayer is going to be is that they will um, come and be blessed and hear the gospel and be touched by God's word. A couple other things real quickly, and we'll get into our text. The ladies' conference on the 24th, ladies sign up for that, 9 to 3 o'clock, and uh, there's flyers, there's a sign-up out there, and uh, we got a lot of ladies signed up for that, and I'm really blessed. I know that you will be blessed as well. And the Lopez family gift card collection, uh, we want to remind you of that. Help this family out that they lost everything in a house fire. And, um, and what a blessing for us to just be able to get gift cards for them, to be able to go and to, you know, um, Target or wherever and be able to just uh, get those things that uh, it really is sobering to think that, when your house burns down and everything, no clothes, towels, you know, dishes, things like that. So that would be a blessing. We want to bless this family that has been coming uh, here since, uh, um, you know, the summer. So um, that is available. Look at that flyer as well. And then don't forget on Friday is the sewing day. Ladies, 9 to 3 o'clock here at the church for OCC. And the youth events, they're reminding the kids upstairs for Friday and Saturday. All right, grief share starts next week. And uh, lots going on as we start a new year. Father, I do pray that you would bless our time in the study of your word. And we thank you that as we enter into 2015, I am looking so forward to you growing us as a church. And I'm just not talking about numbers, Lord. Uh, We know that healthy sheep will reproduce, that you'll bring who you desire to bring here. And, um, And Lord, you will add to the church daily such as should be saved. And, Father, I know that we will grow spiritually in our hearts, and and that's my prayer more than anything, is that we would grow in our love for you and the knowledge and wisdom of Jesus Christ. And what my prayer is is that we would grow in love for each other, that this church would impact this community, that people would know that this is a place where Jesus can be met 
and can be proclaimed. And the word of God is stood upon, uh, holding fast to the word of God, and where people can be loved. And Lord, we know that there are those out there in the world that are hurting and need to be introduced to Jesus and be encouraged in the truth of God's word. So I pray that this year we would be ones that, Lord, we say we want to be impacting um, those around us for Jesus. We live in very special days, Lord, where we see tragedy all around us. Even in our community, we read it in the newspapers. We, we see it on the news. Tragedy has happened um, in the last couple of days. And, Lord, I pray that this would be a sanctuary for people to come and meet the true and the living God, to be able to be loved and be ministered to. And, Lord, I pray that tonight that you would just touch our hearts with your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So where we've been here in the book of Job, just a quick refresher because it's been a couple weeks. Of course, Job has been having this exchange of discussion as he's in the ash, uh, ash heap, he has been sitting there in sackcloth. He is physically afflicted. He's gone through tremendous loss. And you remember that Job started out by cursing the day that he was born. But in this exchange of conversation and counsel between Job and his three friends, Eliphaz and, and Bildad and so far, uh, there's been three rounds of exchange, and, and that has come to an end. And now we see the longest discourse of Job that started in chapter 26 that we ended with last time. As Job talks about, he answers Bildad. Bildad speaks for the last time. And then Job uh, is going to, for six chapters, is going to give a discourse. In chapter 26, we saw that he talked about the majesty of God once again. And Job, remember this, that he hasn't lost his faith. Um, that's one of the things that Satan wanted to do that as he came came and he said to the Lord, remove the, the covering the, uh, around him, the, 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 the protection that you have, and he'll curse you to your face. And Job has not done that. Um, he has kept his faith. Uh, we know that he gives these incredible statements of faith, even though Job is struggling. He's, he's sharing his emotions. He understands the greatness of God. He doesn't deny God. But he is questioning the justice of God, as we will see in, um, in chapter 27. He, he believes that, that God is against him. And, and that's where we're going to see that God's going to answer here at the end of the book and, um, and answer Job in a very uh, interesting way, in a very powerful way. And we'll see that again uh, in a couple weeks. But Job here, he's really hurting. And his three friends, of course, have been accusing him of sin. They have said, Job, God is just, and he punishes, punishes the wicked, so you must have done something bad. You must have sinned really bad, or your children, for this to happen, and you need to confess it, and then repent of it, and then God will bless you. And Job has been maintaining his integrity. So as we go into chapter 27 here, he's going to continue to maintain his integrity. Now keep in mind that as Job, as he maintains, maintains his integrity... He's not saying that he has never sinned. Um, what he's saying is, is that you guys are given the wrong implication. That, that is, that I did something very wicked, and that's why that God, I'm going through these things. And, of course, these three guys, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, they've dug in their heels. 
And their words have been very, very hurtful to Job. Matter of fact, they have said, uh, Job said that you guys are miserable counselors. And we're going to see his bitterness here as we go through chapter 27 towards him. So chapter 27, as he maintains his integrity, and then in chapter 28, he gives a discourse on wisdom. And then in chapters 29, 30, and 31, again in this longest discourse of Job, He's going to give his final summary. He's going to give his final defense. In chapter 29, he's going to talk about how wonderful it was in the past, how he felt close to God, the blessings of God in the past. Then in chapter 30, he's going to talk about the painful present that he is in, how people are mocking him and spit in his face and all the pain that he's gone through. And then in chapter 30, he's going to talk about, or chapter 31, that is, he's going to talk about um, the future and he's going to seem hopeless in the future and does he, is there any hope and will God really help me and then in chapter 32 to for six more chapters what we will see is a fourth individual comes on the scene and gives counsel Elihu and Elihu he's a young guy matter of fact uh, the scripture clearly gives that indication that he's the youngest he's held his tongue uh, the three friends of Job have finished speaking Job has finished speaking so he's like uh, you know, uh, you know, ready to burst, and he is very windy, and so he gives six chapters of this discourse that we will go through that isn't really going to be helpful to Job, and then God speaks, and that'll take us to the end of the book. So chapter 27 is Job is going to maintain his integrity here. Let's begin to read that, moreover, Job continued his discourse and said, as God lives, who has taken away my justice, and the Almighty who has made my soul bitter, as long as my breath is in me, and the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips, verse 4, will not speak wickedness, nor my tongue utter deceit. Far be it from me that I should say you are right. Till I die, I will not put away my integrity from me. My righteousness I hold fast and will not let it go. My heart shall not reproach me as long as I live. So he boldly declares his integrity once again. He is leading um, here in this long discourse. He, he is not going to give in to the accusations of these three guys that God is is, you know, punishing you because you're a sinner. And you are being afflicted because God is powerful and he is just and he punishes sinners. Thus you have sinned, Job. Now in verse 2 here, to note once again that Job is given an oath here. He says, God lives. And to give an oath was a very powerful, very sobering, very serious thing to do. It's like Job is saying that may God strike me if what I say is not true. So Job is so sure of his innocence, hanging on to his integrity. You know, one of the things that, that as Christians, that we want to walk in godly integrity, don't we? And there's nothing wrong with holding on to your integrity. We want to do it in humbleness. We want to do it in a way that we're pleasing to the Lord, not being boastful. But to hold on to our integrity is very important, and that's what Job is doing here. So here is he does that, but he feels like God has not been just to him. Who has taken away my justice, as he says. And again, it follows the line of what Job has been 
sharing his heart that, you know, the Lord is out to get me, and uh, the Lord is against me, and um, he is not being just. He's powerful. He's great. He just got through in chapter 26 saying that God is majestic, but he's not being one that is giving me justice. Now, we know that God, the scripture clearly declares that God is just. He's a just God, perfectly just and perfectly righteous. And the day's going to be when we will all be together in heaven, as Revelation chapter 19 tells us, and we will all say in unison that righteous and true are your judgments, Lord. Righteous and true are your decisions, are your judgments, O Lord. So God is perfectly just, He's a just God, and he's perfectly righteous. And Job feels like that he has not had that justice that has been given to him, and God's going to answer him at the end of the book concerning this. But we continue in verse 7, May my enemy be like the wicked, and he who rises up against me like the unrighteous. For what is the hope of the hypocrite, though he may gain much? If God takes away his life, will God hear his cry when trouble comes upon him? Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call on God? So Job rebukes his friends in very strong terms here. He said, he said may my enemy be like the wicked. In other words, he desires that the punishment that his friends thinks he deserves be put on their own head. Again, you can sense in this that Job has some bitterness. And the words of his friends, and, and I use that term lightly, I, I don't know if they were really good friends of Job because I don't think these guys, Eliphaz, Beldad, and Zophar, really knew Job because they've been saying that, you know what, you've done this and, and you did wickedly and they've dug in their heels. They didn't really know his character, his integrity. And remember that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, God's assessment and evaluation of Job is, is that he feared God and he shunned evil and he walked blameless. That is the same as he walked in godly integrity. So as Job is holding on and maintaining that godly integrity, his friends questioned that. So I don't think they really knew Job all that well. But the words that they spoke to Job really hurt him. And he's getting bitter here. And that can happen in our lives, can it? That words that people speak to us that really cause hurt can cause us to be bitter. And we need to be careful of that. In the book of Hebrews, it talks about don't let that root of bitterness, you know, grow in you because that bitterness will grow like cancer. It'll begin to spread and it'll begin to overtake your life, overtake your heart, your soul, your spirit, if you allow to do it. And we need to keep that in check and make sure that, Lord, help me not to be a bitter person. And I think that uh, when that happens, when we become bitter, that it really affects our life particularly spiritually. It really casts us down, causes us to be negative, causes us to complain and to murmur. So we want to make sure that we don't have that bitterness that just grips our hearts and then begins to grow in our life. And you can see Job here, he is bitter. And we can say, well, he has reason to be bitter. But we're going to see that God is going to work in his life. And here's the thing that we can become bitter because of circumstances or because of what people say to us, but we need to give it to the Lord. And Lord, help me not to become bitter. And you have a plan, and you help me in whatever it is that is causing that bitterness so I don't become a bitter person. The Lord desires for us not to be bitter, but to be better. You see, the trials that we go through, he doesn't want you to be bitter. He wants you to be better. 
And as we allow the Lord to do that in our lives, we will be better in that, that, Lord, I'm going to have a peace that passes understanding, that, Lord, I'm not going to be bitter, that I'm not going to allow anyone to take that joy away from me. Remember that Jesus in the upper room discourses, he's telling the disciples that, listen, guys, you're going to go through very difficult times, and I don't want you to be stumbled by it, and you're going to be persecuted, and it's going to be hard, and it's going to be difficult. So, you know what? Um, your joy, your sorrow is going to be turned into joy. And I tell you these things that your joy isn't taken away from you. Listen, don't let anyone, and I know it's easier said than done, and that's why we have to be in prayer and giving it to the Lord. But people and circumstances can take our joy away, can it? And we want to make sure that no one takes our joy away, that our joy is in the Lord, that our joy is in Him knowing that he's working in our lives, he sees us. And Lord, I want to maintain that godly integrity. And I want to maintain um, that heart, that clean heart, um, and not a bitter heart. I, I want to have a heart that is pleasing to you in whatever circumstance I find myself to be in. So you can see he has a bitterness of heart. And then he speaks of the hypocrite. Now, some Bible teachers, and I think that they have a point here, believe that, that perhaps others had gathered to hear this conversation that was taking place here at the ash heap with, you know, Job's friends there as they're having this conversation. And I believe that happened because we're going to see when Job talks about his present pain here in a few chapters, he's going to talk about those who are mocking him and spitting in his face. And it's almost like there are those who are there, yeah, we agree with, you know, Eliphaz and Bildad and so far. And, and that does hurt, doesn't it? When you got somebody that is, you know, saying hurtful things and then you got other people that are piping in and agreeing with it. And it can be hurtful. And Job, he, he's talking about the hypocrite here. And, of course, Elihu, he's been listening to all this. And all of a sudden, he's going to pipe up and he's going to begin to speak. So others were around listening to all this. And Job speaks of the hypocrite and that the hypocrite, the, the hope of the hypocrite was in vain and will not always cry out to God. We read in verse 11, I will teach you about the hand of God. What is with the Almighty, I will not conceal. Surely all of you have seen it. Why then do you behave with complete nonsense? So Job here continues to rebuke his friends. What you are saying is, is pure nonsense. And then in verse 13, this is the portion of the wicked man with God. And the heritage of oppressors received from the Almighty. If his children are multiplied, it is for the sword. His offspring shall not be satisfied with bread. Those who survive him shall be buried in death. And their widows should not weep. Though he heaps up silver like dust and piles up clothing like clay... He may pile it up, but the just shall wear it, and the innocent will divide the silver. Verse 18, he builds his house like a moth, like a booth which a um, watchman makes. Uh, the rich man will lie down, but not be gathered up. He opens his eyes, and he is no more. Terrors overtake him like a flood. A tempest steals him away in the night. Verse 21, the east wind carries him away and he is gone. It sweeps him out of his place. It hurls against him and does not spare. He flees desperately from its power. Men shall clap their hands at him and shall hiss him out of his place. So we see here that Job believes the justice of God upon the wicked. The problem was that his friends saw him as wicked because he had been afflicted. And that's where you guys are wrong, is what he says to them. 
And then in chapter 28, Job is going to give an interesting discourse on wisdom. And as we begin to look at that, that he says, Surely there is a mine for silver in a place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth and copper is smelted from ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches every recess for ore in the darkness and the shadow of death. Verse 4, he breaks open a shaft away from people in places forgotten by feet. They hang far away from men and they swing to and fro. So what we're going to see in this chapter that Job is going to be asking, you can look at verse 12 and verse 20. He asks, but where can wisdom be found? And then verse 20, from where then does wisdom come from? So he's given this discourse on wisdom. And of course, it's very important that as we see in the context here that He's saying, where can wisdom be found? And he's implying here that it isn't found in you three guys that have been, you know, uh, conversing with me. It isn't found in you, Eliphaz, or Bildad, or so far. So he's given this discourse on wisdom, and it's important for us to remember what exactly wisdom is. You see, there's wisdom, there's worldly wisdom, and then there's godly wisdom, right? And it's important for us to realize that there's a huge difference between worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, right? Worldly wisdom comes from the world's system, the world's philosophy, and what the world teaches according to the world's system. Godly wisdom comes from the Lord, and they are completely contrary. They, they uh, will oppose each other, the wisdom of God and the wisdom of the world. And it's very important for you and I as Christians that we know that the Word of God here gives us godly wisdom, Right? Matter of fact, Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2 that in Christ is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when it comes to godly wisdom, listen, it's more than just having knowledge of what the Word of God says. That's very important, isn't it? But true wisdom is having it be worked out in your life. Always remember that. It is having God's Word worked out in your life. Because listen, I have known people that they have a lot of knowledge a knowledge of the Bible, but they don't have it worked out in their life. They don't make application. It's not in their hearts. They're, they're great theologians, perhaps. They're great Bible thinkers and things like that. I remember years ago that there was a guy that I knew that um, he had a couple masters in theology, and he point blank told me, he said, I could out-teach you in the Bible. And it's like, well, you know, so what? You know, most people can't. But the way that he lived his life, he lived as a fool because he did not apply those things in his life. And it was a more of an academic kind of thing than it was a personal of taking God's word and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ and then taking God's word, the truths, the precepts that are there, uh, the commands that are there, the, the instructions that are given to us, and then applying it in our lives. So it's very, very important. That we understand that wisdom is just not having knowledge, but it's having that knowledge that's being worked in our lives and through our lives, and we're applying it in our lives. Are we clear on that? So here he gives this discourse on wisdom. Um, It's more than just being intelligent, um, but man digs for precious metals is what he begins to say. And he brings them to the surface. Now, it's hard work. When anyone has a mine, when it comes to mining, he's going to mention gold and silver. He's mentioned copper, and he mentions precious stones. And the wood, hay, and stubble that's on the surface is easy to get to, but it's not valuable, is it? 
And there's a lot of, you know, chaff that is out there that can even be presented in the church. And we need to go for the treasures of the Word of God. And that takes a little bit of digging and effort, just as if you have a mine. Or in Weld County, that, you know, uh, the oil industry is, is uh, we go and there's uh, drilling for oil and for natural gas. There's a lot of labor involved in that, isn't it? In, in research and in setting up a, a rig and then all the maintenance and, and everything else that goes with it. I don't understand it all. But I know that some of you guys that work in that field, that it's a lot of work and it's hard work. But it's valuable to bring that oil, that natural gas up. Well, that's what Job is going to be saying here in this discourse. That, it, that man digs for precious metals, brings them to the surface. But the benefits outweigh the risk. It would be Paul that would say to Timothy, Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, there needs to be a digging deep for the treasure of God's word. We need to be diligent. We need to be disciplined in studying God's word, and it will benefit you. And again, it's more than just having an academic lesson, but we want to know him. We want to know God's wisdom so we can live this life in a way that we're not being deceived, in a way that we know how to walk in truth, in a way that we're going to be benefited in every area of our lives. And I know for you who have grown in God's word, isn't it such a tremendous blessing to be able to go through God's word? And when you face a circumstance in your life that you say, wow, you know what? I know what God's word says concerning this circumstance, what direction I'm to go. And that we're to heed God's word and know that God's word is true. What really bothers me sometimes is once in a while I'll get somebody that comes in and they'll say, Pastor Jeff, I got this problem or I got this circumstance, you know, or situation in my life. And I'll open up the Bible and I'll say, this is what God's word has to say. And they'll say, well, that really isn't for me. Or I'm going to try something else. Or I don't agree with that. Then I know that they're headed for heartache and difficulties and problems. So it's a blessing, isn't it? To grow in God's word and to be comforted and instructed and to have God's truth that is in our hearts and then to be able to minister to others the truth of God's word as we do that. So it's, it's important for us to be able to study God's word and to be able to do that um, consistently. He continues in verse 5, As for the earth from it comes bread, but... Underneath it is turned up as by fire. Its stones are the source of sapphires, and it contains gold dust. And that path no bird knows, nor has the falcon's eye seen it. The proud lions have not trodden it, nor has the fierce lion passed over it. He puts his hand on the flint. He overturns the mountains at the roots. In verse 10, he cuts out channels in the rocks, and his eyes see very precious things. He dams up the stream from trickling, and what is hidden he brings forth to light. So he continues to paint the picture that there are rich treasures in the earth for those who are willing to work for it. How much more we should work for God's word. You know, we live in a day and age where it's a real blessing, the technology that is available today, isn't it? When we first came and started the church, we didn't have the technology that we do today. You know, 19 years ago, matter of fact, 19 years ago this weekend, we drove up to Greeley. Sue drove up with uh, a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And I drove up in a snowstorm. 
and uh, the car broke down. And we came up and we thought, what are we doing? Um, we had a Bible, we had a stool and a cheap guitar. That's all we had. And we started the church in our living room. But we didn't have the technology that we do today. You know, 19 years ago, uh, most people didn't have a personal computer at that time. People were just starting to get computers. Um, the, the Internet was very slow. It was just beginning. Um, most churches uh, didn't have websites. We had a ministry called the Tape Ministry, cassette tapes. Remember those? Matter of fact, the card that I still have that my son drives, uh, he was the one uh, that is one years old when we first moved up here. It only plays cassette tapes. We don't have any cassette tapes. So I'm always wanting to say, you know, the, the, the media ministry. I always want to say the tape ministry because that's what we always called it, right? Cassette tapes. Well, cassette tapes, nobody in, in cars, unless it's an older one like what I have, has cassette players anymore. Very few people do. And you can't get cassettes anymore, it seems like. And then they go bad after, you know, five, six years. So now we have CDs, but it is a blessing, the technology that we have. And we work very hard here at Calvary Chapel to use that technology to get the Word of God out. What I'm saying, and the whole point of this, is we don't have to be lazy in studying God's Word. There's so many effective you know, uh, and wonderful opportunities out there for us to grow in God's Word. Uh, that most of you probably have a laptop, an iPad. You have a smartphone now. Um, and we have an app that you can download on your iPhone or smartphone uh, that has all the teaching on. You can get on our website. You can download all the teaching. We have CDs that are available for you. And to be able to pass them out, it was such a blessing. So many of you have said that not only for the New Year's Eve Prophecy Update, that you got a CD for yourself, but you're passing them out and giving to others. Do that. Give that to other people so they can listen to it. Grace FM, that we have that, that has been around now for four years. I love it when they advertise that they say it's like Bible college on the radio. And such anointed teachers all day long on Grace FM. And to be a part of that is such a tremendous blessing. To be able to reach all of the front range. So we have ample opportunity to be able to grow in God's word. So many online commentaries, so more today than ever before. And we want to use that technology to reach as many people as we can. And it does. It reaches people all across the world. Matter of fact, in our own little radio program that we have on Grace FM, we've gotten calls from Ireland, from Germany, from other parts of, of, of the world, from Canada, that people that have listened to it. And it's wonderful to be able to hear that and see that. And, and to, to get the feedback from that. So give people opportunities. Say, hey, listen to Grace FM. Uh, listen to online. If they're hesitant to come to church, you know, you can pull it up and listen to a teaching. Hand them a CD, you know. I always have a couple in my back pocket, you know, and just kind of hand it to somebody. Give it to somebody that's really kind of wondering or something. And you yourself take advantage of that as well to grow. You know, redeem the time, Paul would say, for the days are evil. So in those times where perhaps you're, um, you know, at home, you can listen to Grace FM, or if you're taking a walk or going for a jog or, or, you know, on the treadmill, you can download, you can listen to a teaching from the app. So it's a real great opportunity for you to grow in God's Word, and, and I would encourage you to continue to do that. And so many opportunities 
to listen to Bible study and to encourage others to do that as well. But again, we live in a day and age for some reason where Christians can be a little bit lazy about Bible study. Listen, I can't emphasize this enough. And why the reason that I'm kind of pressing this point is, is because we're in a new year. And I want to encourage you to have your devotions, okay? To get up, whatever that might mean for you. Because I know some of you might work all night long. And uh, so your day begins, you know, not at 6 in the morning, but maybe 6 in the evening. Or you work swing shifts or whatever your day is to really begin your day with reading the scriptures. And I will tell you this, that if you are not one that is regularly in the word of God and having devotions, you are missing out. It is not that God doesn't love you. It is not that, that you know, he, he's disgusted with you, but you're missing out on the opportunity to really dig up the treasures that are going to bless you, all right, and to grow in the wisdom of God. And you will see that your Christian life, your, your Christian excitement and growth will, will just explode when you have devotions constantly. And I commend you guys for coming out on Wednesday nights when most people, Christians, are at home, and I'm not criticizing them, but you guys have chosen to come out on Wednesday night to go through the Old Testament and continue to do that. Continue to come on Sunday mornings. Be in God's Word, and you're going to see that you're going to grow in the treasures of wisdom and knowledge of the Word of God, and it's going to bless your socks off. And you're going to be able to minister to others in a powerful way. Who is it that God's going to use to minister to others? It's those who have the word of God in their heart and is going to be willing to share it with others. And people are going to see a wisdom in you that is not the world's wisdom. Because the world's wisdom changes constantly. You're going to have a wisdom that comes from above. And they're going to see it hopefully worked out in your life. And then in those times where they're confused in this year, or they're struggling, or they're wondering, guess who they're going to come to? They're going to come to you. And they're going to begin to ask you questions. And they're going to say, what are you about? And I pray they see your godly integrity and that they hear your godly wisdom and that you're ready every single day, Lord, I'm going to study God's word and I'm going to be in the word, Lord, show me the things that you want to show me and help me to be ready to share with others and be able to minister to whoever it is, your children, parents, your grandparents, you know, your grandchildren, grandparents, to people at work, to family members, to, to whoever it is that you have opportunity. And I just want to encourage you that you have opportunity to grow in God's word, but you will see your life change radically to where great joy will be in your heart as you grow in God's word. Amen? So be in your devotions, all right? Make it a real goal this year, not in a legalistic kind of way, but in a way where I'm going to dig up the treasures that are going to benefit me. I'm going to take in the living water. I'm going to take in the bread of, of life, and I'm going to study you, Lord, and I'm going to grow in your wisdom, and you will see that God's going to use you in a powerful way. You wait and see. So here he's talking about these things, and then verse 12, but where can wisdom be found, as he asks? And where is the place of understanding? Man does not know its value, nor is it found in the land of the living. 
The deep says, it is not in me, and the sea says, it is not with me. It cannot be purchased for gold, nor can silver be weighed for its price. It cannot be valued in the gold of Ophir and the precious onyx or sapphire. Neither gold nor crystal can equal it, nor can it be exchanged for jewelry of fine gold. Verse 18, no mention shall be made of coral of quartz or the price of wisdom above rubies. The topaz of Ethiopia cannot equal it, nor can it be valued in pure gold. So Job mentions gold five times in these verses along with the silver and precious stones. And as, and as precious and as valuable as these stones are, they are worthless when compared to wisdom. Do you know that? Do you realize that what you are holding in your lap is more valuable than gold? Do you know that? Even David talks about that, doesn't he? David talks about that in Psalm 19, more to be desired they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey in the honeycomb, speaking about God's word. What you have in your lap, the word of God here, is so precious and so valuable. It's more valuable than all the gold in the world. Because I'll tell you this, the gold of the world and the silver of the world and the precious stones of the world are all going to go away, but the Word of God is going to last forever. So get the Word of God in your heart. And if you have the Word of God in your heart, you've got something more valuable than the richest man in the world who doesn't have the Lord. You have something so valuable. You have a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you're not going to be cheated by the world's philosophy. And you're going to have godly wisdom that is going to be so precious. And then as we finish tonight, from where does, uh, then does wisdom come? And where is the place of understanding, verse 20? Is it hidden in the eyes of all the living and concealed from the birds of the air? Destruction and death say we have heard a report about it with our ears. God understands its way and he knows its place. For he looks to the end of the earth and sees under the whole heavens to establish a weight for the wind and apportion the waters by measure. And when he has made a law for the rain and a path for the thunderbolt, then he saw wisdom and declared it. He prepared it. Indeed, he searched it out. In verse 28, and to man he said, Behold, the fear of the Lord is that is wisdom, and apart from evil is understanding. You know, Job, what he's saying here, really he's a wise man, because what was it said of Job? This is God's evaluation of Job, that he feared the Lord, he shunned evil, and that he was blameless or walked in godly integrity. Truly, God's wisdom originates from God and wisdom applying it to our lives. And Job knew that what he needed was this wisdom. The fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. Now, what's the fear of the Lord? Just very quickly. The fear of the Lord is not this unhealthy terror of the Lord. And sometimes Christians, and even Job is feeling that right now. Remember that he has said that, that he's terrified of the Lord, what the Lord is going to do. And, and why should I pray? Why should I serve? And, and, Lord, I, I don't want to be in your hand. And so Job has an unhealthy terror and fear of the Lord because of what has happened to him. Listen, the fear of the Lord is having a reverence of the Lord. I reverence you, Lord. You're a holy God. You're a just God. You're true. Your promises are true. You are faithful, Lord. And it's just realizing the awesome God, the incredible God, all knowing all powerful God that we serve. That's the fear of the Lord, that he sees everything in my life. He listens in on everything. He knows everything that I do, everything that I say, being in constant awareness that, Lord, you see me, and I don't want to do anything that is displeasing to you. You know, I told the story about, it was, I don't know, over a year ago that, um, you know, there's 
uh, it was a couple years ago, there was someone that, you know, really needed some help, and we wanted to help them, and, and um, you know, so we helped them because uh, they were going to be out on the street, they said, and so we were willing to help them, and, and um, you know, be able to pay some rent, and I remember a couple of weeks after that seeing him and his buddies coming out of the liquor store with a whole cart full of liquor, and they just about crawled under that cart when they saw me. Just, you know, you can tell they're about ready to die. And I just wanted to tell them, you know, you shouldn't be fearing me. You need to fear the Lord. He's the one that you should be fearing. You know, not me. And it's true with us. Because we can fool people and we can... You know, fool families. You can fool uh, people at work, but you'll never fool the Lord. He sees everything. And the fear of the Lord is saying, Lord, you're aware of what I'm doing and what activities. And, and you know, if I'm being honest, whatever it might be. And then to depart from evil. And the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. So may we prioritize just seeking God's wisdom. And being aware that, Lord, that you want to work that wisdom in my life. And, Lord, have it be worked out in my life and applied in my life. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had here tonight. Talking about a very important subject. Godly integrity and godly wisdom. And, and Lord, we know it comes from you. And, Lord, I pray that... Um, as right now we just stop and we get ready to prayer our hearts for communion. That Lord, that you would just help us to grow in godly wisdom in your word. In the knowledge and love and wisdom of Jesus Christ. Because in him is hidden all the treasures and wisdom of, of knowledge. It comes from you. Truth, godly wisdom doesn't come from the world. Father, I pray that we would be this year, everyone here, that we would say, Lord, because there are treasures to benefit my life and to grow me and to grow my faith, to make me usable for you, for the kingdom, help me to grow in that wisdom, to take advantage of devotion times and redeeming the time, listening to podcasts, listening to Grace FM, listening to um, sermons on, on the way to work, but the Lord to get more and more of you and less and less of the world. We get bombarded with the world and, and all the stuff in the world all the time, but Lord, may we just have more of you, just continue to dig, because we know that the benefits are great, that we would be diligent, a worker that does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, not being lazy about it. Father, I pray for this year that, again, that we would just grow not only in your wisdom, but in your love. And, Lord, I do pray for those who perhaps, that, Lord, that the trials and difficulties that they're going through weighs on them very heavy, whatever your circumstance might be. That we're going to see that Job, he talks about his past, but he forgets about that the Lord is his future and has a plan and desires to bless. And may we remember that. That whatever that you find yourself in tonight, 
if your heart is heavy and you wonder, Lord, why am I going through this or why is this happening? That God has a plan and God sees you and he loves you. He wants to grow you. He wants to conform you into the image of Jesus. He wants to bring comfort to you and that his word is true. And as we come to the communion table, may it remind us as we hold the elements of how much you love us, Lord. You proved your love for us by going to the cross. And as we now are part of that new covenant that you've established, a covenant based on the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, as he allowed his body to be broken and his blood shed for forgiveness of sin. And Lord, may we just marvel at that, what you have done and demonstrated and proved to us of your love for us and who you are, the Son of God who conquered sin and death on that cross. And Father, I do pray if there's anyone here tonight, that if you're listening on live stream or you're in this building listening to this message, that you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that he is your salvation. There is none other. There's no other sacrifice for sin. Only Jesus died for your sins, and we're all sinners, the Bible says. But he leaves us hope, and that is his death on the cross. He died for you personally. And he was put into a grave, and he conquered death and sin by rising from the grave three days later. And now salvation comes not by your works, but by what he did on the cross. It comes by faith. In changing direction, that means to repent and turn to Jesus for eternal life. Surrender your heart to him. Believe in him. And if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. There's no other salvation. And I just pray if there's anyone here that you've never taken that opportunity, it doesn't come by you being a good person. It doesn't come by you being religious. It comes by a personal relationship with Jesus and crying out to him to forgive you and realizing that as you believe in him, then eternal life is given to us by faith. You pray, Jesus, I come right now. And I confess that I am a sinner. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior because I believe that you died for my sins. Forgive me. And you rose again and you're knocking on the door of my heart and I want you to sit on the throne of my heart to be Lord. You're my Savior. I believe in you. I thank you for a new beginning, for forgiving me and help me to live for you all the days of my life. So, Lord, I pray that right now as believers, as we come to the communion table, that, Lord, that we would just marvel again that your incredible, credible work for us and love demonstrated. So, Lord, may it be a time of worship. Lord, thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. The communion table will be open. You can come up the sides and kind of come down the middle and hang on to the communion elements, and we'll partake of them together.